Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. Hi, welcome to Painting of the Week. And we're doing one of our specials where I'm not with Laura today. I'm on my own. Well, not quite on my own. I'm with Chris McCarthy, who's the CEO of the Provincetown Art Association and Museum uh, in Provincetown on Cape Cod in the United States, where we've been working on our Edward Hopper film. And the painting that uh, Chris is going to talk to me about in this fantastic gallery, and if you're anywhere near Boston, you have to come up the Cape to Provincetown and come and visit this gallery because it's brilliant. And the picture that she's chosen is by Charles Hawthorne, who lived from 1872 to 1930. It's called The Boat Steerer, and it's circa 1925. And straight away, I'm going to ask Chris why, of all the wonderful paintings and drawings and etchings and photographs, she's chosen this one. This, this painting holds a lot of special, I don't know, it's just, it's, Charles Hawthorne was one of the founders of the institution, the Provincetown Art Association Museum. But this particular painting I saw seven years ago in a collector's home, and I ditched out of a party to go snap a picture of it on the sly because I was so taken with what this picture represents, which to me is quintessential Provincetown. The history of Provincetown, the fishermen who, who really brought a lot to the industry of whaling and fishing back in the early uh, 1900s. This particular fisherman is, is steering a boat in, the, in sort of might, might look like a little bit of a turbulent sea in his foul weather gear, looking at you with this gazing look that could mean a million things. And so this painting was just donated to the collection two months ago. After coveting it for seven years, the, the collector gifted an unprecedented 61 pieces of art to Pam. And I was able to put together 19 of them quickly to have them on view. The boat steer being pretty much the signature piece in the exhibition, the first thing you see when you walk into the gallery. Um, Charles Hawthorne was born in, in Illinois, but his father moved his family to Maine, and his father was a captain of trading ships. So he always was around the water. When he was 18, he moved to New York, and he studied with William Merritt Chase at the Shinnecock School in Long Island, which was the model that he used for the Cape Cod School of Art when he came to Provincetown in 1899. He died in 1930, but for that 30-year period that he was in Provincetown, his school of art was the, the highest level of education and drew artists from all over the country to come to Provincetown to study with him. It was mostly women who would come and they would paint either on the beach or on the pier. It was usually um, in plein air with a live model. If you were in the front row, part of what your job was to be was to keep the flies off the model, especially if the model was unclothed, so that was another one of the things that you had to do if you were in a Hawthorne class. Hawthorne always wore white flannels when he taught, but his really, the, the, I think the most successful paintings that he did were, was capturing the people of Provincetown. He would have people sit for him for hours on end, he painted from life, and then he would go back into his studio and, and finish these magnificent paintings. 
He got sick toward the end of his life, and it was hard for him to paint the very detailed oils, so he started doing looser watercolors that he could do while he was sitting down, because a lot of these paintings would take hours and hours and hours to do. But this one in particular is, 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 is looking at the line, the color. He, he didn't use a lot of colors in his palette. He was, he was about a limited palette, but the detail is just so exquisite. The, the way that you look at the, the, the foul weather gear with the, with the wrinkles and the, and the drapery, the way that he's able to capture that, the fish in the bottom of the boat, it to me is just, it's, 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 it screams Provincetown and it screams the beginning of the art colony and that's why I love it so much. So lots of questions from that. The first thing I'd say is I always love a painting where at first you think, oh, he's dressed in yellow. And then you stop and you have a closer look and you realize it's a masterwork in... I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, I should say, for those of you who haven't already, go to seventh-art.com, where, as ever, you can see the painting for yourself, get it as big as you can on your device, on your laptop, whatever, and really have a close-up, close-up look at the, at the beautiful rendition of the foul-weather gear. The colours in there are absolutely fantastic. How would you define that? You, you talk about this being a, a school, but how would you define that school? I think the, the Hawthorne School was primarily impressionistic. It was a school that definitely saw changes in art history um, from, the, from the beginnings of Marcel Duchamp's The New Descending the Staircase, the changes in art history to the modernist movement. I still think Hawthorne was pretty stuck to the pretty traditional ways of impressionism and realism, in, especially in the face of this, of this fisherman or this boat steerer. But I think that Hawthorne was, was pretty tried and true when it came to the traditional mark making of an Impressionist painting. Um, I don't think that had he lived past 1930, I don't think he would have been one of the artists that would have looked toward abstract expressionism, although the watercolors that he did closer to the end of his life definitely are looser and they're not as tight as these, but I think that was more due to health purposes. One of the films that we made is called The Artist's Garden, and there's two elements in that film which, obviously, which I think coincide with this painting. One is the rise of, actually more than that, we talked about art colonies, which is really interesting. We talked about the rise of female artists, yes. which is very interesting, but also the influence of Impressionism yeah. and how French Impressionism or European Impressionism made its way across the Atlantic, but yes. actually became something different and, and was used to tell a different story. Merritt Chase, of course, comes up, Absolutely. who's a fantastic artist. And a fantastic teacher. And a fantastic teacher. He's in Hopper's story, too, yes. briefly. Um, so this, this tells us, or this shows, the kind of continuing influence. It might be coming to an end, but the continuing influence of those mid-19th century European Impressionists. Yes. And we know that Hawthorne went to Europe... Um, before he came to Provincetown, he definitely was influenced by Manet. He was looking at the French Impressionist Cezanne. Those were artists that clearly were influenced, he, that you can see in, in his, influenced his style for sure. Um, and, and this painting was done five years before he died. So it really was probably one of the last masterpieces that he did before 1930. I mean, that, Manet's the artist that you kind of think of when you first see it. Yeah. That very, that kind of the portrait right in the middle. Yes. Taking up the whole frame. The background's not so important. Yeah. I mean, Manet often would go for black. This is kind of dark blues and turquoises. Yeah. And, um, tell me a little bit more about 
province town because it's the first time I've been here. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And as you walk down Commercial Street and other streets, it is absolutely full of galleries. So this is clearly a cultural hub now. Yes. Has it always been the case? Yes. Um, Provincetown is the oldest continuous colony, our colony in America. When Hawthorne came here in 1899, um, he had a, a, 300 students in the first summer that he came here. We know that there were other artists here before him. A woman named Dewing Woodward actually opened a school in 1896. She was here for one summer. Um, but Hawthorne's continuous, the, the continuation of his school is why it's coined the oldest continuous art colony. But what, before the Provincetown Art Association was established, they were actually exhibiting in the town hall in Provincetown. So the town actually started amassing a collection of artworks by Hawthorne and his students. So if you go into any municipal building in Provincetown, the library, the schools, the town hall, you will see artists from the art colony that exhibited here, that showed here, that lived here, that might have stayed here for a summer. Every restaurant, there's, you, there's original artwork in any, any place you go in Provincetown. And, and I almost think you, we take it for granted. Uh, and by the way, the town hall's magnificent. I, I went inside and had a look. But at what point, I mean, the first, you know, the pilgrims that come over, their primary concern is marsh grasses for, for sheep, maybe, or, or catching the turkeys, or, I mean, it, it's staying alive. Yes. So at what point do they start to have a little bit of free time to start creating art? I mean, when does, when does Provincetown become less about just survival and then getting into economic, economics and trade and going backwards and forwards across the Atlantic, perhaps. When do you start to see people actually, like, a, a market being created for art? I believe that was in the late 1800s, for sure. And what would happen is that a lot, like Hawthorne, for example, would find local people to sit for him. And the idea of being having your portrait painted was almost something very regal, like if you were a king or something like that. And the fishermen would trade fish to the artist. So at every day at the end of the day, you'd walk to the end of the pier and there was a bucket of fish for the artist to take if they didn't have any much food. So there was always this camaraderie between this community and the artists that came here. And we know stories of artists who came here 80 years ago, and if you went to a, a rooming house and said, I'm an artist, you would get a discount on your room. So it might be $3 for the night instead of $5 for the night. I mean, obviously getting a studio here was much more inexpensive than it was than it is now, but also the, the fact that you could get here by train in the late 1890s, the train really, was a way to get people to Provincetown because prior to that you would have to get here by boat. And so I think opening up the roads and finally building Route 6 was another easier way for artists to get here. But I think the intrigue, the fact that this is at the end of the earth, surrounded by water on three sides, there was a, 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 the fact that the creative outlet or output of Provincetown, Eugene O'Neill, Tennessee Williams, the birth of American theater, the birth of American art, really, in a lot of ways happened in Provincetown. I mean, it's the home of American democracy. It's where the Mayflower Compact was signed. So I think in looking at what Provincetown represents, it's always represented this community that was open to anybody who wanted to be here. But I think the artists in particular were treated very well by townspeople and as you know, a very special group of people as they were, they're the ones who have preserved the legacy of this town through pictures. So the, the houses as you walk around, which are tremendously well preserved, indicate that this had become a commercially successful town. What was it 
trading in that, that presumably created a lot of people with money who wanted to buy or commission these artworks. What, what was the product? Um, I don't think the wealth really moved into Provincetown until later. I know that whaling was a big, it was a big industry here. And I think whaling and fishing, and now unfortunately we don't have that much of a fishing fleet anymore, but those two industries, whaling and fishing, and, and we had a, a large Portuguese community here, Portuguese people who had come from the Azores who settled in Provincetown, multi-generational families. A lot of them opened restaurants. There were a handful of restaurants. Um, there really weren't any, too many retail shops. I don't think there were silversmiths, though, in the 50s and 60s. There were a number of silversmiths that sold their wares on Commercial Street, but it was a lot of galleries. It was a, a guy who made leather sandals, things like that. So there were a lot of tradespeople that were on, on the main street of Provincetown, but I don't believe the wealth came in until after okay. much later. And did they have the resources to... I mean, would fish have been trained down to New York? Did they have the kind of cold storage to do New that? Bedford. New Bedford. New Bedford. There actually was... Or um, Boston, I should say. The, the big, there's a big structure in the East End called the, um, the Ice House, and it's now condominiums, but that was the Ice House where all the fish was stored when the fishing fleet would come in after the day. There's also a really great... Um, series of photographs of women on the side of one of the buildings that you see when you come in by boat and it's Norma Holt who was a photographer did these pictures and it's called um, I can't even remember it's called and they and they saw the sea something like that but they're waiting for their husbands to come in on the fishing fleet so that really was the main industry here was whaling and fishing it's a it's a bit tangential to the central part of the story but of course Coda just won the Oscar is based in Gloucester isn't it that's right I find this picture in painting interesting because you, you talked about the kind of regal nature. He almost looks, he doesn't immediately strike me as somebody who's, who's a fisherman, which is perhaps a bit of a prejudice on my side, <laughs> on my part, but he actually looks like he could be a kind of town mayor or mm-hmm. alderman or something. But then you look at his hands, and when you look at his hands, I see dry, weathered hands. They almost, his hands almost look like gloves, probably from steering his boat, the elements being out in the weather. But if, if you put a crown on him and, and took, took off his foul weather gear, he could look like somebody very regal, actually. Which is fantastic because it's that sense of, you know, the ordinary man and woman is as, is as um, entitled to be a central focus of a painting as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, which is clearly something that comes out of the 19th century. Um, tell me a little bit about the, um, the gallery. When did your, or the museum, when did that start? So the museum opened officially in 1914. That's when the organization was established by Hawthorne and four other artists and uh, some business people in town. The banker, the local bank, Siemens Bank, which still operates today, was one of the original partners. They realized after so many artists started coming here that they needed some type of organized institution. They didn't have uh, a physical home, so they showed at the town hall. But as the the organization grew and grew, the town hall basically told them they couldn't stay there anymore because they had too many people. So they were able to purchase this property, which was an 1820s sea captain's house. And there was another tenement house on the property in 1921. So, or 1920, 21, and they purchased it for $5,000. They were able to do some small renovations so that they had an upstairs gallery and a downstairs gallery. It was a seasonal organization. It wasn't open year-round. They would have an exhibition called First Show each year, and that was primarily Hawthorne and his school. 
but when Hans Hoffman opened his school in 1935, or right after Hawthorne had died, a bunch of abstract expressionist artists had moved into Provincetown. So there was a rift in this organization between 1927 and 1937, where the impressionist and realist painters refused to show in the same gallery as abstract expressionist painters, so they had to have two exhibitions a year for 10 years. So finally, a group of artists that kind of were these bridge artists that moved from a more impressionist style to a more abstract style put a petition out to say, get rid of these shows, we're going to all show together, and it took 10 years to make that happen. Ironically, if you look at the design of this museum, it's an 1820s captain's house coupled with a modern structure. And when we were designing and building this museum, I felt like it was 1930 because many townspeople were very upset with the fact that we were not building a faux federal wing to match the captain's house. We in fact built a modernist structure to really accentuate the mission of this organization, which is to not just to preserve the legacy of the art colony, but to promote contemporary artists who are still inspired by the same landscape that Charles Hawthorne was 100 plus years ago. So that's kind of the, 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 the story in a nutshell, but, the, but this organization grew exponentially. We now have over 3,000 members of this organization from all over the country, and it was at 28 states and eight nations that we have members, but it's a people who collect art. Provincetown art really has become its own entity where you look at any auction you're going to find artists that were in Provincetown. I think between the two schools, Hawthorne and Hoffman, that definitely drew artists but I think the curiosity factor, the LGBTQ factor, the, the fact that there were musicians here and artists and writers and filmmakers, it's always been a creative bohemian kind of place. It's definitely gentrified for sure but I still think it has that that special energy that once you get Provincetown and you, you can't get it out. Like you coming here for the first time, mm. I could guarantee that you will come back again. Oh, for sure. I mean, do, you, do people across the United States, when they're talking about creative centres, will they refer specifically to Provincetown or will they talk about the Cape? Um, I think Provincetown is more and more becoming a cultural centre specific to Cape Cod. I think when people their first reaction to Provincetown is that it's a gay destination. I think that's what people think of first, as opposed to the oldest art colony in America. But I think when people think of Cape Cod, I think they, they, they definitely put two and two together that it was a, it's a creative center, the outer Cape in particular. I would say further up Cape, like, they're not, so much, not as much. We've just finished a film about Mary Cassatt. And of course, in, in her background in the Philadelphia, um, in, in uh, PAFA, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Association, Academy, no, Academy of, of Fine Arts. Arts. Yeah. Sorry. Um, we've got a lovely, two or three lovely photographs of a lot of women going there to learn how to become artists mm -hmm. or improving their artistic skills. And when we did Artist Garden, you know, these artistic colonies that went to Florence Griswold, for example. Um, but then the predominant kind of, as you go through American art history, even in that period, it's obviously predominantly male. Mm -hmm. So what happens? What do you think happened? Obviously, women were just as interested, no doubt, just as talented to begin with. What was the, then the impedance? Was it the market in terms of the dealers or was it the market in terms of the purchasers or was it something else? Well, here in Provincetown, women were only allowed to sell their work on Sundays. 
Men could sell them seven days a week, but women could only sell on on Sundays. And even though, like Hawthorne School, for example, had way more female students than it did male students, the male artists dominated. They dominated the, the organizations, the boards, or the officers. They dominated everything. And we see a lot of examples of couples who moved here together, like William Fried and Lillian Orlowski were a couple, both that studied with Hoffman. Lillian completely put her, her life on hold to take care of William Fried and promote his work, not unlike the Hoppers. Mm. Um, but yeah, we see a lot of, of that where, women, like the, Mrs. Hawthorne, she ran the Hawthorne School, of, the Cape Cod School of Art, through the back, through the back. No one knew that she was running the school. She, in fact, was a fantastic artist herself. So one of the things that we've tried to do here at PAM is to showcase the women artists. So Marion Hawthorne had a show a few years ago that was exquisite. And a lot of these women just, you know, took the back seat, even though they were the predominant group of artists that were coming here. But because the teachers were male, the assistants were male, the monitors were male, it was a completely male-dominated artistic society here. And even when we look at our collection, one of the things we try to do is build the amount of women artists that we have in the collection, which we're, we're, we're working furiously to do that, but the men still outnumber the women. I mean, if you think about like the Ninth Street women, Joan Mitchell, Helen Frankenthaler, a lot of those artists were not even using their first names. They were using initials because if they were noted mm. that they were female artists, they wouldn't get the exhibition at MoMA or the Met or something like that. So I think it still exists today. Um, but yeah, that was definitely an issue here, for sure. D- does it still exist today, or can we hope that it's kind of finished? I think it's getting better, let's put it that way. I don't think it's quite there yet, but I think it's getting better. Okay. Chris, this is the most fantastic place. Thank you. And I encourage everyone to come, and uh, there's plenty of paintings and photographs and more to look at. And I, as you suggested, will certainly be back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Painting of the Week podcast. For more information, please visit our website at 7th-art.com or contact us by emailing info at 7th-art.com. See you next time.